Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Here we go. So grateful, of course. And we are looking in the manual for teachers this week. How should the teacher of God spend his day? That's the title of chapter 16 in the manual for teachers. Let's figure out how to spend our days. Invest wisely, I say. And let's begin that investment right here, right now with a prayer. So I invite you to place your hand on your heart. Let's be grateful and thankful that love is all there is. Love is what we are. We are shining the light of love into this activity and every activity. We are willing to walk in the world as the awakened one. It is our true nature to shine the light of the Christ into every conversation and activity. We are grateful to dispel false beliefs and attachments, cravings, aversions, addictive compulsive tendencies and temptations dissolve and resolve permanently back to the root cause so we never think, experience, or deal with them again. We are grateful to rise up above the battlefield, to know and to remember the truth that sets us free. We are grateful to be awake and alive to our holiness. We let it be, and so it is. Amen, 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 amen. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very good. Very, very grateful. (laughs) Yes. So let's dive into this. Chapter 16, how should the teacher of God spend his day? One thing I can say right off the top before I read any of it uh, to us now is that I have absolutely learned that it is far more effective and efficient as well as happy-making to go to spirit to see what I'm to do rather than to figure it out. And I just did the forgiveness retreat last weekend, which was absolutely wonderful. And one of the things that uh, somebody had remembered that I said in Masterful Living class is, for instance, um, I used to operate, uh, as many people do, where... I would, let's say, look in the fridge thinking, what am I going to eat today? And I'd look at what leftovers I had, and then I'd think, okay, I need to eat this by tomorrow. I need to eat this today. Uh, I need to use that up by Friday, that kind of thing, in my decision-making about what I would eat And I realized that I was just doing this from the ego. And I would sometimes make myself eat something I didn't really feel like eating because it was going to go bad and I didn't wish to be wasteful, etc. And I think that that certainly makes sense if someone is has food scarcity. But I don't have food scarcity. I don't have money to waste or throw around. But if I don't eat $5 worth of pasta, it's not going to break me. And I, it's not going to break my budget. And I've learned, let me just follow my guidance, what I'm to eat, what I'm to do. Let me go to spirit for the answers to these questions. Because otherwise, there's nowhere else to go but ego. And the quality of my life is much improved if spirit is leading me and guiding me to these decisions. I've learned that for sure. 
for absolute certain. So one thing we could say is we spend our day listening to spirit, going to spirit for the answers. And this chapter begins with, to the advanced teacher of God, this question, how should the teacher of God spend his day, is meaningless. There is no program for the lessons change each day. Yet the teacher of God is sure of but one thing. They do not change at random. Seeing this and understanding that it is true, he rests content. So the teacher of God rests content knowing that the lessons change, but there's nothing at random. It's all very purposeful. The teacher of God will be told all that his role should be, this day and every day. And those who share that role with him will find him so they can learn the lessons for the day together. Not one is absent whom he needs. Not one is sent without a learning goal already set and one which can be learned that very day. For the advanced teacher of God, then, this question is superfluous. It has been asked and answered, and he keeps in constant contact with the answer, capital A. He is set and sees the road on which he walks stretched surely and smoothly before him. So, the lessons have been set, and those who are to participate with us in the lessons have already been sent, set and appointed. All of that is pre-configured so that we can look at the situations and circumstances of our life and recognize there's no part of it that's random. No part of it. Everything is gently planned by one whose only purpose is our good. But what about those, it says, who have not reached his certainty? So what about the folks that don't have the certainty of the teacher of God? They are not yet ready for such lack of structuring on their own part, what must they do to learn to give the day to God? There are some general rules which do apply, although each one must use them as best he can in his own way. Routines, as such, are dangerous. Uh-oh. Routines, as such, are dangerous because they easily become gods in their own right, threatening the very goals for which they were set up. Ain't that the truth? Oh, my goodness. So I, I know I've talked about this a number of times in different platforms, and including this one. And I remember, I think it was... 2011, somewhere right around the time I started the podcast, could have been 2011, 2012, 2013, in those years, I started to travel more and more. And I remember I had a, yes, so it would have been, I I was in Ireland, I was in England, I was in Germany, I did a three-week trip away from home, and I was staying mostly at people's houses and a little bit in hotels. And I was someone at that point in my life, I was a bit nervous about staying in people's houses so much because people I didn't know, their houses. Because what I know about myself is I I do have routines and I can be, I used to be very fussy about things. 
and I liked them to be the way I wanted them to be. And that, that structure, that routine uh, gave me comfort. And I would feel off balance, or I'm learning the term dysregulated. I would feel, um, another technical term I like is higgledy-piggledy, or discombobulated, <laughs> all, all for the same thing, that I would feel out of sorts if I didn't have things the way I was used to having, the way I liked them. And it could be everything from the tea I was drinking to the kind of milk I was putting in my tea to what I was eating for breakfast. And if these things changed, I would really feel threatened. I would feel out of sorts and uh, oftentimes feeling critical if I thought my way was better than the current way. And I didn't want to inflict any of that nonsense on the wonderful, wonderful people who were hosting me and helping me to share A Course in Miracles with more people. And so I, I had apprehension going into that trip. But what I learned on the trip was I had really changed and I could roll with what was being offered to me and that I was really feeling loved and supported everywhere I went. I might not be able to have things exactly the way I wanted them, but I would have them in a way that felt supportive and pleasing, enjoyable. And that was a real turning point for me in my life and recognizing how loved and supported I am. So since then, I've learned to be able to travel and uh, feel far more flexible with things not being the way I'd like them to be, ideally, and to be able to roll with what is. When I was just on this Camino trip for a couple of weeks, um, things were almost always not the way I would have them be. Uh, I, yeah, just food-wise or things like that, timing-wise. But I really enjoyed myself every day, all day long, regardless of how things were showing up. So couldn't get the coffee the way I wanted it. Didn't matter. I just had what I had. I couldn't get the the food the way I wanted it, it didn't matter. I just did the best I could and enjoyed what I had. And uh, I, I wasn't really complaining or any of that. Not that I was completely complain, complaint-free. <laughs> that I'm not there yet for sure. Uh, but I was able to really enjoy myself and have a good time and not be a thorn in the side of any other person. So this is a change in the way I experience the world. I experience the world as supportive to me and not against me. And that is wonderful. That is really, really wonderful. And I'm very grateful to be able to experience life that way. Now let's go to the second paragraph here. But what about those who have not reached the teacher of God's certainty? They are not yet ready for such lack of structuring on their own part. What must they do to learn to give the day to God? There are some general rules which do apply, although each one must use them as best as he can in his own way. Routines as such are dangerous because they easily become gods in their own right, threatening the very goals for which they were set up. Broadly speaking, then, it can be said that it is well to start the day right. It is always possible to begin again should the day begin with error, Yet there are obvious advantages in terms of saving time. At the beginning, it is wise to think in terms of time. This is by no means the ultimate criterion, but at the outset, it is probably the simplest to observe. 
The saving of time is an essential early emphasis, which, although it remains important throughout the learning process, becomes less and less emphasized. At the outset, we can safely say that time devoted to starting the day right does indeed save time. How much time should be so spent? This must depend on the teacher of God himself. He cannot claim that title until he has gone through the workbook, since we are learning within the framework work of our course. After completion of the more structured practice periods, which the workbook contains, individual need becomes the chief consideration. So, being devoted to starting the day right. This would include really being clear about what kind of day you'd like to have. I'd like to have a day that's peaceful and harmonious so we can visualize the day, run through it quickly, and just see ourselves being peaceful and harmonious all throughout the things that we know are, we're probably going to do that day and see ourselves, like for instance, let's say we are going to do things like, oh, um, things that are on my mind. I've got some construction going on in the main house and let's say meeting the contractor and smiling, laughing together, happy together, meeting the person who's going to do the painting and being excited about how it's going to look and it's going to go so well. It's beautifully unfolding. Uh, going to go to the grocery store, zoom right through. Everything's on sale. Um, <clears throat> discovering wonderful foods and uh, enjoying the people I meet along the way. Driving in traffic and um, zipping in and out with ease and with grace, blessing everybody along the way. So we can visualize driving to work and it's a beautiful day and we are blessing the people along the way, driving home, blessing people on the way home, enjoying the ride, having a conversation maybe with someone in the car or on the phone, these kinds of things. Getting home safe, happy, feeling refreshed and restored from the day's work. These are the kinds of things we can visualize as part of our day. How would you like your day to unfold? This is what Jesus inspires us to do on a daily basis. So without attachment, but getting into that groove. So we, this is from the rules for decision section. And uh, I did uh, at least... I think I did several episodes on the rules for decision a couple of years ago. And we can think about how uh, elite athletes, astronauts, people like that, they do this. This is part of their training for their work is seeing themselves succeeding and doing very well. And they're imagining that because Truly, to the body temple, the cellular structure, we are consistently letting the body know these are the things that are going to be coming up. I do that. If I have to lift something heavy or bulky, I first visualize myself uh, lifting it with ease and with grace and putting it back down with ease and with grace. No strain, no struggle no sweat. I find it's very helpful. Going back here to the manual, paragraph four. This course is always practical. It may be that the teacher of God is not in a situation that fosters quiet thought as he awakes. If this is so, let him but remember that he chooses to spend time with God as soon as possible and let him do so. Duration is not the major concern. One can easily sit still an hour with closed eyes and accomplish nothing. One can as easily give God only an instant and in that instant join with him completely. Perhaps the one generalization that can be made is this. 
As soon as possible after waking, take your quiet time, continuing a minute or two after you begin to find it difficult. You may find that the difficulty will diminish and drop away. If not, that is the time to stop. So we're interested in building the practice of going to God. And it doesn't have to be for a set time. It's really going to God in that experience of, to me, it's yumminess. <laughs> the yumminess of going to God, going to that higher Holy Spirit self, and receiving the refreshment, the divine downloads, the insight, the intuition, the connection. It's plugging into that one mind that is so restorative. It's renewing. And receiving that renewal, if we start to find ourselves uncomfortable, which I definitely used to do, I'd get very um, jittery and, oh, I need to move on. This is taking so much time. It's not really that effective. I used to have all those thoughts. Uh, this is, I could be more productive if I did this or did that. And I've spoken with hundreds of clients that have said the same thing. There comes an antsiness that, oh, we want to get on to doing something productive. Here I am, I'm in this contemplation, I'm in prayer or meditation, and I'm starting to feel like, oh my God, it'd be so much better if I could get those errands done. It'd be so much better if I could get the laundry done, these kinds of things. And so there's an itchiness to go get those things done and accomplished. And then we can feel good about ourselves because doing the spiritual practice and feeling antsy and jittery, I'm, I'm not liking it. But if we're sincere in doing our spiritual practice for a purpose, the purpose to connect with our divinity, the purpose to release ego attachments, the purpose to be able to be more loving and compassionate, more patient and kind, more heart-centered and heart-generous. If that's the purpose of our spiritual practice, then regardless of how our spiritual practice goes that particular day or moment, because of our intention we will be succeeding because that is how the mind of God works and the mind of God is our mind. So we don't have to force ourselves, but what we learn through consistent spiritual practice is that spiritual practice saves time because when I imagine my day going well, it's more, it's going to go well much more likely to go well unless I became become fixated on something that's not helpful. And sometimes we do, and then we learn from that. He goes on here, the same procedures should be followed at night. Perhaps your quiet time should be fairly early in the evening if it is not feasible for you to take it just before going to sleep. So... One thing for me is I do, I kind of do both because um, I do have prayers and things that I do before bed. I get still, I do some prayer and meditation and I find, uh, you know, some people need to unwind before they go to bed and they need to take time falling asleep. They read books and things like that. I, in the evening when I'm doing prayers and meditation, I can actually start to fall asleep because I'm so ready for bed. And it, it's not hard for me to fall asleep at all. So I, I would never be able to do prayers and meditation lying down. I, I can do extra prayers lying down, but I'm going to fall asleep within a couple minutes. As I'll fall asleep right in the middle of praying. 
So I have to sit up and do it uh, before I get into the bed, and uh, which is fine. And so earlier in the evening, I usually am doing something where I'm meditating, praying uh, then. Uh, so we find a way that works for us. For me, I always remember that spiritual practice saves time. I don't need to be told that because I know it to the tips of my toes, the top of my head. Uh, I've proved it very, very clearly for myself. So there's no doubt whatsoever that my life is easier and smoother because of my spiritual practice. And in so many ways, too many ways to even begin to count. Oh my gosh, it's time for me to take a break. Oh, it comes so fast. Well, <laughs> when you go to the break, I encourage you to go to jenniferhadley.com and look at the events page, see what we've got coming up. I've got all kinds of bonuses for Masterful Living. If you sign up for my year-long course now, you'll get them. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are talking about how the teacher of God should spend his day. And I mentioned as we went to the break that Masterful Living program for 2024 registration is open now. Uh, we... I'm just going to talk about this for one minute here and because uh, I'd like you to know I've got bonus classes that are coming up this year. If you register now, you'll get those bonus classes for free. And uh, there are, uh, I'm doing, un doing unworthiness class. It's a three-part, four-part class. And then I have Forgive and Be Free. It's a four-part class. These are paid classes that come as bonuses for those who are enrolling now for Masterful Living program next year. And yes, more good things to come. I was speaking with Alan Cohen yesterday. We're cooking up some things and good things are unfolding. I'm very excited. Also, New Year's Reboot is open, um, and that's a, a class that I do at the beginning of January. That's a bonus for Masterful Living as well. And the Forgive and Be Free, the Undoing Unworthiness, you can take these classes. You don't have to be in Masterful Living. Uh, they're open for everyone. It's just that they're bonuses if you enroll in Masterful Living. So there you go. And all the details at jenniferhadley.com. So let's look here. Talking about how to spend our day. And he's talking about getting some quiet time in the morning. And if you, you know, let's say you've got your children jumping up and down in your bed. There's no quiet time when you first wake up. You can find a minute later. It doesn't have to be a particular length of time an instant will do. That's the thing is we're not really, we're not time-bound be beings. We just feel that we are, think that we are. And so that holy instant of going to God is plenty. It's plenty. As long as it's real, it's sincere, it's from our heart. We're truly interested. I've had so many times in my life where I had a, very short connection where I just tuned right in to that holy holiness and I got so much insight so much clarity just boosh <laughs> all at once so it's not about time healing doesn't take time insight doesn't take time these are thoughts that we have about it so he says here the same procedures should be followed at night. Perhaps your quiet time should be fairly early in the evening if it is not feasible for you to take it just before going to sleep. It is not wise to lie down for it. It is better to sit up in whatever position you prefer. 
Having gone through the workbook, you must have come to some conclusions in this respect. If possible, however, just before going to sleep is a desirable time to devote to God. It sets your mind into a pattern of rest and orients you away from fear. If it is expedient to spend this time earlier, at least be sure that you do not forget a brief period, not more than a moment, will do, in which you close your eyes and think of God. So, for me, I've made it something for many years now that I do right before bed. It works for me. Uh, every now and then, not even once a year, but every now and then, I'm very tired. I'm usually not in my home. I'm somewhere else traveling there's other stuff going on, and every now and then uh, I will get into bed, and then I realize, oh, what am I doing? I'm not ready for bed, and I get up, and I go back to the meditation chair and take some time there. Even if I'm falling asleep, even if I feel very, very sleepy, I still do that, and it just makes everything better. Things go better with God. They sure do. Hmm. There is one thought in particular that should be remembered throughout the day. It is a thought of pure joy, a thought of peace, a thought of limitless release, limitless because all things are freed within it. You think you made a place of safety for yourself. You think you made a power that can save you from all the fearful things you see in dreams. It is not so. Your safety lies not there. What you give up is merely the illusion of protecting illusions. And it is this you fear, and only this. How foolish to be afraid of nothing, nothing at all. Your defenses will not work. But you are not in danger. You have no need of them. Recognize this and they will disappear. And only then will you accept your real protection. So, let's break this down. So it says, you think you made a place of safety for yourself. You think you made a power that can save you from all the fearful things you see in dreams. What is that power? It's ego. When we feel separate from God, we feel we have to protect ourselves because God is no longer our protector. Love is no longer our protector because we've left that system, so we believe. So we now have to protect ourselves. So what we're being told here is, that is the illusion. It says, it is not so. Your safety lies not there, not in the ego. What you give up when you go to God, what you give up is merely the illusion of protecting illusions. The illusion of protecting illusions. So when we're trying to protect ourselves, we are protecting an illusion of ourselves because there's nothing outside of us. There's nothing to attack us. Only the perception that we're being attacked in the illusion. It goes on. And it is this you fear and only this, the illusion of being attacked. How foolish to be so afraid of nothing, nothing at all. Your defenses will not work, but you are not in danger. So this is the thing for us to remember. And it's like, it's like a Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz moment. She's so afraid... Think of the scene with the witch 
where the witch um, has lit the scarecrow on fire. And Dorothy's so terrified. They're so terrified of the witch. But then she throws the bucket of water onto the scarecrow to put the fire out. It hits the witch and she melts. What is the thing that takes the evil, wicked witch out who's so, so, so scary? It's a bucket of water. What else is a bucket of water used for? It's used for life. It's used for uh, clear... Uh, to me, the bucket of water represents clarity. It, and, and, and it's nothing special. It's something common every day. So this is the thing that we can practice in our life. And believe me, this is a spiritual practice to be able to look at the things that we fear and to say, I've given everything all the meaning that it has for me. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. So in that moment of fear, being able to say, there's nothing outside of me. There is nothing to fear. Nothing is against me unless I believe it is. But everything can shift and change if I'm willing to shift and change. We don't feel worthy of love. We don't feel worthy of good things. We don't feel worthy of our divinity. And we don't feel worthy of compassion and protection and all of these things. So in that intense state of unworthiness, we feel very vulnerable. But really, the only thing that makes us truly vulnerable is our attack thoughts. So that's why I say the attacker always feels attacked. The judger always feels judged. The blamer always feels blamed. The lover always knows they are the beloved. Which would you rather be? The blamer, the attacker, the judger, or the lover who feels beloved? Your defenses will not work, but you are not in danger. You have no need of defenses. Recognize this and they will disappear. And only then will you accept your real protection. So first we have to move into our loving heart in order to feel safe. It doesn't seem to make sense, but once you've experienced it, it makes perfect sense. It goes on. How simply and how easily does time slip by for the teacher of God who has accepted his protection. <laughs> well, this I can attest to. Uh, I've, I really feel that the itchy, scratchy, difficult parts of life are just fading with every passing day. And life gets easier and easier for me, and I'm very grateful for that. All that he did, all that the teacher of God did before in the name of safety no longer interests him. And I would say that's true for me too. For he is safe and knows it to be so. I, I feel that way for sure. He has a guide who will not fail. I feel that. He need make no distinctions among the problems he perceives. For he, to whom he turns, with all of them, recognizes no order of difficulty in resolving them. I feel that too. That everything gets dissolved and resolved in God. And I still find myself from time to time trying to figure things out. It's a habit. Putting the ego in charge is a habit. And so managing and coping is a habit. Having strategies to figure things out. That's a habit. And we're so used to it. It's so ingrained in us. It does take a conscious effort 
to undo that habit. However, it doesn't take a huge amount of work. It really just takes a true willingness and a few times of saying, oh, I just found myself trying to figure this out. Oh, I just realized I was really efforting here because I'm looking at the situation and thinking it's hard, it's difficult, it's big. We even get into the mindset of thinking it's too big for God to figure out. I got to get on this one. I got to get the ego working on this. <laughs> and that's the insanity that we fall into. And, you know, it just it's a habit that we break. And here's the thing, too. It's we live in a world where people, myself included, have fallen into habits of doing self-destructive things. Uh, I used to be a smoker. I used to drink too much, you know, things like that. And when there's a habit of doing self-destructive things, we know it's not good for us. We're doing it anyway because we don't really love ourselves. So once we focus on being loving with ourselves and everyone else, we get into the vibration of love, we start to reboot into our true identity. We start to reboot into our wholeness, into our perfection, into the magnificence that is our natural state. And so then we aren't thinking we're bad or unlovable. And so we stop being unkind to ourselves and being unkind to our body and putting ourselves in difficult situations, self-sabotage, etc. I, for a number of years now, have been running a, a program I call uh, Eliminating Self-Sabotage. And... I do it because self-sabotage was such an ingrained part of my life. And it was very challenging for me for a long, long time, most of my adult life. And so being able to break that habit of self-sabotage is such a relief, such a relief. That's why I have a program dedicated to that. I only do it once a year. I think the next one will be in the summer of 2024. And to me, A Course in Miracles is a program to eliminate self-sabotage and self-attack because it's also a program to discover our worth and that we don't need to be punished because we really haven't done anything worth punishing. No matter what we've done, punishment is not helpful. So we turn to the one who recognizes no order of difficulty in resolving whatever our problems appear to be. The teacher of God is as safe in the present as he was before illusions were accepted into his mind and as he will be when he has let them go. There's no difference in his state at different times and different places because they are all one to God. This is his safety, and he has no need for more than this. And I can attest that's how it feels to me. I don't need extra because I feel assured of my safety in God. God, and here's the thing too, like I could say God is my protector, but there's nothing to protect me from if I'm not perceiving I'm an attacker or I'm going to be attacked. People who are attacking will feel attacked. The attacker always feels attacked, and the judger always feels judged. When we move out of attacking and judging and complaining and criticizing, we no longer feel unsafe. All right, we're coming into the home stretch here. Yet there will be temptations along the way the teacher of God has yet to travel. 
and he has need of reminding himself throughout the day of his protection. I've definitely found that to be true. Until you really flip the switch, you just have to keep reminding yourself. That's not horrible. It's not a burden. And one way to do it is to set reminders in your phone. Uh, that's why one of the reasons why I made the A Course of Miracles app and it has the ability to set reminders. It's a free app. It costs you nothing. And it's got all the, the workbook, the text, the manual for teachers. It's all in there. And you can read it from your phone. And you can set reminders. You can set reminders to go off as often as you would like. And I have them going off all day long. And for years and years since I made the app. And if you're using the app, if you would write a review from wherever you got it, uh, that would be helpful. I'd love to have that review. <laughs> Same with this podcast. If you like these offerings, these free offerings, your reviews are very helpful. Okay, okay. circumstance he calls for it. There are times his certainty will waver and the instant this occurs he will return to earlier attempts to place reliance on himself alone. Forget not this is magic and magic is a sorry substitute for true assistance. It is not good enough for God's teacher because it is not good enough for God's son. So at times our certainty will waver. So let's not rely upon ourselves. Let's not revert to relying upon ourselves. Let's just keep turning it over and turning it over. I can attest to the power of turning it over. It's one of the primary things I teach in Masterful Living because it is so incredibly fruitful and there is nothing more fruitful. All right, here we are. Paragraph nine. The avoidance of magic is the avoidance of temptation. It's the temptation to identify with the body and the ego. For all a temptation is nothing more than the attempt to substitute another will for God's. These attempts may indeed seem frightening, but they are merely pathetic. <laughs> they can have no effects, neither good nor bad, neither rewarding nor demanding sacrifice, healing nor destructive, quieting nor fearful. When all magic is recognized as merely nothing, the teacher of God has reached the most advanced state. All intermediate lessons will but lead to this and bring this goal nearer to recognition. For magic of any kind in all its forms simply does nothing. Its powerlessness is the reason it can be so easily escaped. What has no effects can hardly terrify. So one of the things we think of is medicine is magic. It does nothing. In other words, it, it can, to me, magic can uh, seem to shift the symptoms, but it doesn't shift the cause of the symptoms. So it does nothing, nothing real, nothing lasting. Nothing truly helpful. There is no substitute for the will of God. In simple statement, it is to this fact that the teacher of God devotes his day. 
Each substitute he may accept as real can but deceive him. But he is safe from all deception if he so decides. Perhaps he needs to remember, God is with me. I cannot be deceived. Perhaps he prefers other words or only one or none at all. Yet each temptation to accept magic as true must be abandoned through his recognition. Not that it is fearful, not that it is sinful, not that it is dangerous, but merely that it is meaningless, rooted in sacrifice and separation. Two aspects of one error and no more. He merely chooses to give up all that he never had. And for this sacrifice is heaven restored to his awareness. So we, this is a great affirmation. God is with me. I cannot be deceived. So this is the practice of remembering to go to God, to value God, to value the truth. And when we're willing to really work it, everything changes. So this is how we spend our day. It's not the doing, it's the being. It's the working at the level of the mind. That's the thing that has been so transformative in my own life. Yes, so that's what I share. That's what I offer is my own experience and success with working these practices. Yes. And uh, as we're coming to a close here, I'll just mention that my year-long Masterful Living program is open for registration. If you register now, you'll get some live classes coming up with me. I've got some wonderful classes, uh, and I'd love to give you those bonuses. They are to encourage you to make the commitment. One of the great things is we do have a money-back guarantee, so if you find that the program's not for you, you can always get yourself out of it. (laughs) We don't hold you to it. I encourage you to book an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors, and they can answer all your questions, and then you know if it's right for you or not. Follow your intuition. You can't go wrong. All right, let's place our hand on our heart and turn within here and open our heart and mind to the power and the presence of love that's always with us, always for us. Life is for us, and we are grateful to know it is so. We share the benefits with everyone, and so it is. Amen. Amen.